All right, do want to welcome each of you out, invite you to turn with me in God's Word to Genesis chapter 12. This is our second sermon in the series uh, about Abraham and a journey of faith. Uh, last week, everything we looked at, every word that's mentioned in the first nine verses is about Abraham's faith. Uh, today, I'll submit to you that we're going to learn about a famine and we're going to learn about Abraham's failure. And so, being a, a man of God, a woman of God, doesn't mean that you always get it right. Uh, but here's what you need to know. God will always bring you back to where you need to be if you're willing to just trust in the Lord, trust in His ways, trust in His Word. And so, we're looking at Genesis chapter 12, 10 through 20. Uh, I want to just throw the map up for you real quick so that you can see that red line is uh, Abraham's journey. Of course, I know he's Abram right now. She's Sarai right now, but I will probably be calling them Abraham and Sarah until God makes their names officially that. But the red line you see is kind of just the, the travel route that Abraham would have taken around the Fertile Crescent, uh, following the rivers and uh, working his way down to Negev. And this week he goes into Egypt, so he just goes across, and you kind of see that at the very end, just going kind of straight across to my right and your left. And uh, so this just need to see, I think. There's something about seeing what it is we're reading about and what's taking place. So he's settled south of Jerusalem, south of what modern-day Israel would be, uh, still in the Promised Land, and now in this chapter in this passage you're going to move down into Egypt or, or probably northern Egypt at this point so I do want to just uh share with you that Abraham he does something a little crazy in this chapter okay and so I'm not really big on kind of politically correct terms so I'll just call what he did stupid right and so uh, so sometimes good people God-fearing people Jesus-loving people do stupid things and, and so the question is, what do we do after that? And I would just say, I read this a few years ago. I really liked it, so I've kind of kept it put up. But I was reading about when hard times come, when we do stupid things and we find ourselves dealing with the consequences of our own actions, or maybe we just find ourselves in a difficult season of life. And what I read, I really liked it. It says, uh, at a moment's thought, we'll show the wisdom of these words I had written. A victim says, why did this happen to me? But a student says, what can I learn from this? A victim complains that he's being treated unfairly. A student thanks God that he's not being treated as he really deserves. A victim tries to get even with those who hurt him. And a student seeks ways to serve others in the midst of of his difficulties. A victim believes the game of life is stacked against him. But a student believes that God is at work even in the worst situations. So my challenge as we begin this sermon is rather than finding ourselves complaining and acting the victim, let's become students. What is it God's trying to teach us? I, I share with you that in my, in my surgery in 2015, after that I was kind of on my back for three or four months, couldn't really get up. I didn't feel like getting up. And uh, the one thing I learned through that was, God, not why am I in this situation, but God, what are you teaching me in this circumstance? We should always be asking, listen, God, what are you trying to teach me through this? 
So even though we're going to see a, a huge failure, I believe, by Abraham, I think the word, the word of God, by the way, doesn't call him a failure in this passage. But I think it's pretty easy to see his failure as we read. But we must be like students when this happens in our life. When we find ourselves having, you ever do this? You just make your own decisions about things. You've got a decision to make, and so you and your own wisdom looking at your life, you decide what's best for you rather than allowing God to, to calm your heart about the decision. You just make the decision. This is what we're going to do, not seeking God at all. Not waiting on God to intervene, just of my own will, this is what I decide to do. I want to tell you that as a Christian, that is a stupid thing to do. But seek God. Man, if you've got to make a decision in your life, seek God. Get advice from the one who created you, the one who has ownership over you, the one who prepared plans for you before you were even born. He's the one who can give you the right answers for your life. We're going to see Abraham in this passage instead of waiting for God to answer, to provide. Abraham does what seems at the time reasonable. And ultimately what we find out is he stepped out on his own ability, thinking with his own mind, and it ends up being nothing but a big circle that he makes where God brings him back to where he started. God ever done that for you? You've done something crazy or you've made some decisions on your own or you've just drifted away from God and you've been through all sorts of things and then you, you finally realize at some point God has brought me back to where I was before this even happened. I'm in the same place I was before I went through all those things and made all those decisions. I want to submit to you, I believe that Abraham sees that. I want to go ahead and throw up just kind of the three biblical facts I believe we're going to learn from this passage. And this, this is the first. Troubles tend to follow blessings. All through Scripture we find that when God really begins to, to move in someone's life, when God begins to really bless them, that it's not too long before we see troubles come their way. The great Old Testament example of Job, right? Job's been blessed, everything's going his way, and then all of a sudden comes suffering. And what I would submit to you is that God's willing to use those times in your life to teach you something. To teach you something you would never learn any other way. Unless you go through that circumstance. I'm glad to know that God doesn't just haphazardly allow things to happen. We don't serve a chaotic God, but we serve a logical, loving God. And whatever it is you're going through now, it may be because of your own mistakes, yet God still uses those times in order to bring us where He would have us to be. So we never falter, we keep moving, we keep looking up, we keep trusting God, and God will even take our own mistakes and use them toward blessings for His glory and His kingdom. The second thing, as we read the Scripture, I want you to kind of try to find, try to see that God's people oftentimes respond to danger with deception. We're not that much different in our flesh than the world around us, amen? We have the Spirit of God living within us, which makes us a lot different than the people living around us. But lots of times we find ourselves in a place of danger, or, or we're worried, or we're really concerned. It may be even... Over the, the virus right now, maybe you found yourself really concerned, really uh, wanting to just pull away from everyone. And sometimes when we find ourselves cornered, even as God's people, we'll use deceptions and half-truths to make where we're at valid. 
We'll even use Scripture sometimes to back up something in our life that's just not valid. That's not what the Scripture really means. You ever hear anybody do this? I hear people do it all the time. I try to make sure it doesn't happen, and so I ask you always to be my jury, right? You're listening. If it sounds wrong, if it doesn't sound biblically, then you've got to call me on it. Again, not in the middle of service, but after service. You don't need to know what I think. You need to know what God's Word says. This is the foundation we build our life upon. This is how we make it through troubled times. This is why Christians, even in the midst of a virus and, and all the tensions we see in our country today, can still have hope, can still have joy, are still looking up, are ready to face another day. Enjoy life. But let's be careful because we see through Scripture this example followed all the time. Peter, God, I'll, I'll, I'll go where you, Christ, I'll go where you go. I'll, I'll die for you. Not, not a few hours later, weren't you him, him that traveled with Jesus? No, I don't know him. We see people, God's people, good people, loving people, when they're put in a corner, act with half-truths and deception. Here's what I want you to find out. Deception in Scripture always leads to humiliation. What's that? It's when we're exposed. It's when the truth is exposed. How do you feel? Humiliated. You imagine Peter saying for the third time, I don't know him. And the, the humiliation he must have felt realizing Jesus told me I would do this. I, I swear I'd go anywhere he went and do anything he did. And he said you'll deny me. And there was no way I would have done that. But now I stand here having done exactly what Christ told me I would do. And what I said I would never do, I've done. Why? Because of danger. Because of the circumstance he was in. So do not hear me say that because there's dangerous circumstances or there's troubles in this world that you can, cannot make it through without being deceiving. I'm saying be careful not to use deception in order to bail yourself out of troubles. Be honest. Be open. Repentant. Willing to ask for forgiveness and say that you're sorry. And so now we'll just... Let's turn to God's Word. This is what we need. We'll read through it, and then I want to share these concepts from the Word of God with you. Verse 10 through 20. They're up on the wall for you in the CSB, which is what I'm reading out of. There was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to stay there for a while because the famine in the land was severe. I just want to point out what you don't hear said. In, in the first nine verses, everywhere Abraham went, he went because God told him to go there. Leave the land that you're in. Leave the land of your fathers. Go where I tell you. Abraham, by faith, went. Now he's where God wants him to be. He's in the promised land. And God does not say, Abram, go to Egypt. The Bible says there was famine in the land. So Abraham, Abram decides to go to Egypt. Verse 11, when he was... About to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, Look, I know what a beautiful woman you are. This begins to sound pretty good, right? Wives, this sounds like a good start of a conversation. It doesn't end so well. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. They will kill me, but let you live. This is probably true. Like Abraham, this problem he has, it's a real problem. The Pharaoh has Harlem's, a, a lot of wives, right? 
And really, any beautiful woman Pharaoh would make claim to, and Pharaoh would make sure that she entered his household. She'd be looked after and taken care of, but she would basically serve the Pharaoh. Abraham realizes this is a thought, and so instead of risking his life, he decides to have his wife say she's a sister. Verse 13, please say you're my sister, so I will go, it will go well with me. Because of you. So here's what happens. If Sarai is chosen by Pharaoh, then Abram is given land. Abram's going to be given servants. Abram's going to be given livestock. All because of Sarah. It's a, here's what it is. We're going to buy her from you. And, and what Abram does is because now he's in a new land because he left his own land because of the famine... Before we get there, let's just determine together that you're going to say you're my sister. This is not a full lie, but it's kind of a half lie. You with me? We're going to see that in just a second. That way, they'll treat me good. I'll receive a blessing. They won't kill me, which is also another blessing. And they'll, they'll look after you. So let's do this. This is the plan. You don't hear Sarai's voice in this chapter, by the way, which sometimes her not saying anything says volumes. Say you're my sister to go well for me because of you and my life will be spared on your account. Verse 14, when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh. So the woman was taken to Pharaoh's household. He treated Abram well because of her and Abram acquired flocks and herds, male and female donkeys, male and female slaves and camels. Moses was already a fairly wealthy guy by the standards. Now he comes to Egypt and he's doubled or tripled his wealth because he told a lie about his wife just being his sister. But the Lord struck Pharaoh. The word struck here with these uh, household with severe plagues because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So here's a picture of what took place. Something similar to this. Pharaoh would call on Sarai to be brought with him. This is what I envision. And every time she comes into his presence, severe physical plague is poured out on him. Why? Because God's protecting Sarah. He's actually protecting Abraham from his own stupidity. So every time the Pharaoh calls on her, well, how do you know, Bruce, it's when he calls on her? Because he knows the problem. Pharaoh in a minute is going to say, the problem is her. See, one amen. Two of you could have said it. Well, we have three babies, so hopefully I'll get three in a minute, amen. Was that Macy back there preparing for her baby dedication next week? And so we're excited about that. By the way, it's Sarah's 17th birthday today, amen. That means you ought to look at me and say, man, you're getting old. We remember when she was born. A lot of you in here were there. <laughs> Verse 17 says, But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his household with severe plagues because Abram's wife Sarah. So, so Pharaoh sent for Abram and said, Why have you done this to me? Now this is one of the things I love. This is part of the humiliation that Abraham is facing is God uses a pagan, Pharaoh, to teach moral lessons to his chosen one. The Pharaoh makes more logical, moral, and spiritual sense than Abraham. 
Pharaoh sent for him, why have you done this to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? You did say she's my sister, so that I took her as my wife. Now here's your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave his men orders about him, and they sent him away with his wife and all he had. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we pray you speak to our hearts and our minds this morning. As we just look at your word, we pray that, Lord, we would not hear a sermon that some man has put together, but that the Holy Spirit of God would speak to our hearts and our minds. Right where we are, right in the circumstances we find ourselves in, Lord, help your word to teach us and also to make changes in our life, to transform us so that we might face the the trials, the troubles, the consequences of living in a fallen world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we do begin, and, and some of it I've just kind of given you a hit and miss here, some topics, but I just want to walk through the passage with you, um, and kind of the three points we talked about at the beginning that I shared, I want to, to talk to you. So here's the first thing I would suggest to you, that troubles often are followed, or follow blessings. There are times when we, we, it's like we've hit the pinnacle of our life, where everything seems to be going right, where... Uh, for the first time, maybe I feel like, God, this is where you want me, and I feel like I'm in your presence, and God, it feels like my life is what it should be right now, and everything seems good, and I have such peace, and there's even prosperity in my life, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you find yourself in the midst of a trouble, circumstances that aren't so pleasing. Now, this is the truth. The Lord Jesus said, in this life, you'll have trouble. Listen, as Christians, if our Savior was persecuted, crucified, then how much more are those who are his followers going to be persecuted in this life to come? So it's not a question of if we have problems in our life or if troubles come. The question is when they come. Abraham's just been led away from his family, has made this long journey of about 1,500 miles from Ur down now into the the lower part of, of Israel, the promised land, and the gave. And now that he's settled, and now that he's here, and now that his, his uh, nephew Lot is with him, and they seem to settle in, all of a sudden, there's a famine that comes on them. And it's kind of like where Abraham would say, God, really? 1,500 miles? Left my family? Traveled all the way here? And now there's famine? That's the way life is at times. God often allows troubles in a period of trouble in our life, in order that he might test our motives and teach us life lessons. How to live for him and how to walk with him. Uh, Friends, I would submit that there's no one in this room this morning who hasn't experienced troubles in your life. Again, the question is not, do troubles come, but what will we learn from them? Think about Job just for a minute. Can you... Job's tough for us to read, I think, sometimes. In our humanity, we read it, and it just seems awfully uh, difficult to accept. But what we, we read in Job is, here's, here's a guy with all this prosperity and wealth and things, and, and God's like, look at my servant. He loves me. He worships me. He trusts me. And Satan's like, yeah, but it's because you just bless him all the time. If you, if you take his blessings away, he won't trust you, love you, serve you. I sometimes wonder if we're not being accused of the same thing before God. Here's the problem. I don't mind being accused of it. I don't want to be guilty of it. Even Macy didn't say amen. 
They took her out of the room. You would have left her in here. I wouldn't feel so bad right now. Like a comic when his joke runs flat. I don't want to be guilty of this accusation that Satan makes against Job. God, he worships you in prosperity, but when troubles come your way, he'll reject you. He'll curse your name. Again, I don't mind Satan accusing me. I just don't want to be guilty of it in my life. You don't want to be guilty of this in your life. You want to love God and trust God and serve God and worship God in good or bad. Are we serving Him just because things are going well? Are we really just trusting God because things are going well in our life? What if we lose our job? I know of a couple of people in here right now that are laid off after the virus hit. I know people in this room that have had their pay cut some by 50%. Are we trusting God and serving God? Depending on God, worshiping Him even in the midst of our struggles? What about our marriage? When marriage becomes tough, when it's difficult, when we're not getting along, and just, if you say we never do that, you're a liar. In church, you're lying. If you're married, you have times where you argue and you don't get along and, and you don't want to be in the same room, right? Why? Because marriage is a picture of our relationship with God. And when it's going good, man, it's really going good. And when it's going south, it is, it's a struggle. It's really like, Arguing with your own self because you're one flesh now in the Lord Jesus Christ. What about your friends? When your friends decide they're no longer going to stand by you, do you stand by God? What about your reputation? When people say things about you that aren't true, do you try to justify yourself or just stand in the strength and the, the, the morality and the righteousness of God and just hold your head high and say, I'm not even going to go to that level. I'm not even going to make your accusations close to being true by even responding to them. What about your wealth or your home or your health? Are you willing to stand with God and to stand by God and to worship God even if all these things are taken? Will you still serve Him? God's been good to us. Just say amen. God's been good to us. He's been good to me. Better than I deserve. Our text says Abram went down to Egypt. Listen, that's more than just like a geographical note that he went south. That's not what is being said here. There's more to that. Egypt in the Bible represents the way of the world. When Abram went down to Egypt, he was going down by flesh. In his flesh he desired. In his flesh he deemed this necessary. The promised land always represents God. Represents righteousness. Moses left the promised land. He left the righteousness of God and went into the way of the world to try to fix his problem. I want to make sure you understand this. The Bible makes it absolutely clear by not telling us that Abraham decided on his own what he needed to do was to go to Egypt. This is not God ordained. This is not God showing up and, and saying to Abraham, go south because there's a famine coming into the land. This is Abraham looking with his eyes and seeing the fact that it seems food's beginning to run out. 
And instead of trusting God to provide, he relies on his own wits. Well, Egypt's just south of here. We'll just move south. This is where God called us. God called us to this land. God, God has established this land for us. And even though we're here now, we're where God has called us. It appears food's going to run out. So let's just move. Already in the promised land, moves out of the promised land. I wonder how many times we look at our circumstances and rather than relying on God to tell us what we ought to do, we rely on our own wisdom, our own thinking, our own resources, and we decide what we ought to do. I'm going to tell you something, friend, that will, that will always lead to problems. If you're, if you're going somewhere God's not called you to go, if you're doing something God's not called you to do, it will always result in misery for the Christian. Number two, I, I shared this as one of the points I wanted to just kind of emphasize, and that is God's people often respond to danger with deception. Now we know that, that Sarah is, is kind of like the half-sister of Abraham. That they share a, a father, they don't share a mother. And uh, so what, what Abraham was telling her to say technically was kind of half true. But there's no such thing as a half lie or a half truth. It's either true or it's a lie. She's his wife. We have a hall of faith in the book of Hebrews and Abraham's talked about more than any other person in that. Abraham is the man of faith. Our study is a journey of faith as we look at the life of Abraham. And Abraham at this point is demonstrating a failure of faith. Not only does he not trust God to provide in the land which God sent him, but now that they're going to a land he decided to go to, he doesn't trust God to protect his family. So he in his own accord, he's good at this if you've read the life of Abraham. He's good at coming up with solutions on his own. And here's his solution to this problem. Just pretend to be my sister. Just be my sister. You're not my wife. When they ask, we'll tell them, you're beautiful, beautiful. It's like throwing in a compliment while you tell your wife, but I'm going to let Pharaoh have at you. All right, to save my life and so that we can gain possessions and livestock and those things. All right, by the way, do you know they pick up a servant named Hagar? Anybody know where that leads? To the world that we live in today. Should have stayed out of Egypt. Abraham is a godly man. Don't hear me say Abraham's not a godly man. Abraham is one of the godliest men, one of the most righteous men to live. A man who trusted God. But in this particular ten verses, he blows it. I just want to submit to you this. When you blow it, God's not done with you. God doesn't write you off. God is still about God's plan in your life. And so this morning you may be in a place that's not where God's called you. you. You may be going through some problems that you didn't see on the horizon. And you may be wondering whether or not God's done with you. The answer is no. As long as you have breath in your lungs, as long as you're standing and breathing, God has something planned for you, something for you to do, a job for you. When He's done with you, He will call you to glory. Are you with me? When God's done with you, you'll be seeing Him face to face. Your, your faith will be sighed. Until then... Be about the work of God. Trust God. Worship God. Allow God to lead and direct your paths. 
and all of this, Abraham really represents much of what we find of the ordinary person in our day-to-day life. So before we bash him too much, in the same way that we like to kind of put everything on Adam, let's just understand that we make the same mistakes every day. Different one of us are going through problems. And the way we try to... I'm not going to bring up money. But I will talk about the IRS. We're filling out our taxes, and technically this really probably isn't a deduction, but I did use it some of the time for work, so it's not technically a lie, right? Uh, Yeah, it's a lie, man. It's just you cannot... Anybody who says this is not technically a lie is telling you a lie. Anybody who says within their own hearts and their own minds, technically that you're lying. You're being deceitful. You're, You're... There's no other way to say this. There's no half-truth and half-lie. It's either a lie or truth. And here, Abraham, this man of faith, can you picture this? I I can't even, it's hard for me to put my mind around this. All right, but he's, he's just an ordinary man. Make sure you understand this. An exceptional man of faith. But he's just a man. It's why we don't worship Abraham. We worship the God of Abraham. Abraham, like us, blew it, messed up, did some stupid things. And this is one. Can you imagine having that conversation? Listen, men in here, can you imagine having this conversation with your wife? Look now, when we go down there, they're going to think you look good. They're going to want you for Pharaoh. So let's save them some trouble in ourselves. Just say you're my sister. Man, we'll get some money, we'll get some land, we'll get some slaves, we'll get some livestock, man. It's really good. It, this will be a good thing. It's going to work out well in the end for me. Amen. Sarah doesn't respond in Scripture. There's probably a reason for that. It probably can't be written in Scripture what Sarah said. And at the journey home, right, after Pharaoh calls her in probably several times and every time gets sick before he realizes this beautiful lady has some problems. He figures out she's married to to a man who worships the one true God. Can you imagine that journey when when, uh, Pharaoh sends Sarah back to Abraham and says, pack your stuff up and leave? That was a quiet journey from Egypt back to the promised land. Amen? Amen. Her silence says a lot. It's too bad. You know, if they were living today, Abraham would have been killed before he got to Egypt. Right? Making that kind of suggestion. Listen, he left God out of the equation. This is what we have to be careful of when we find ourselves in problems and difficulties that we allow God to be the center. The foundation that we stand on. We can't leave God out of the equation. And that's what God did. And I I would just submit to you, I believe that what Abraham did did not seem like a huge problem to Abraham at the time. That Abraham felt like he was just acting like what anybody else would do to save his family. There's a famine, we got to go somewhere where there's food, and the only way we can go there and live is if we pretend to be brother and sister so they don't kill me to get to her. And so this is what's best for our family. I don't believe he would have thought this is so bad. Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. This is the immutable law of what you sow, you reap. 
the, the law of the harvest. And in your life, you've got to be looking and you've got to be saying, the way I live today is going to result in what I face tomorrow. I would, I would submit this to you too. This is a, a third point, maybe. That God will sometimes allow your deception to be prosperous for a little time. Y'all know what I'm talking about? God will sometimes let the sin you commit be successful for a little time. There is no doubt that Abraham sees some success in his plan. They come to get his wife. She goes. They send slaves and livestock and money to him. Things seem to be going to what he planned. But here's what you need to know. Listen, sin is only good if there's not a tomorrow. Because your sin will find you out at some point. So the only way sin is profitable is if there's not a tomorrow for your sin to be found out. And know this, your sin will eventually be found out. Well, what do we do about it? Let, let's do this. Let's make God the very center of every decision we make. I want to tell you that no, no decision's too big for God and there's nothing too small in your life that God doesn't care about. Every decision being made by consulting God, the creator of the universe. Would your life look different today if you could go back to when you were a young man or a young woman just being married, right? Just beginning your family. If every decision you made for your family was made based on what, the, what God led you to, there's some decisions that the Bible clearly tells us right and wrong, and there's some things we've got to pray and allow God to speak into our hearts and our minds. Would your life look differently today if every decision you ever made, you consulted God first? I want to take my life would be drastically different today. I, I believe I would still be in the same place doing the same thing that I'm doing today, but my life would have been a whole lot different getting here. How many problems could I have prevented in my own life that I brought on myself by my solutions? Sin may seem fun for a while, but it always lasts longer than you want it to last. It always takes you further than you want to go, and it always costs you more than you want to pay. And then God, He disciplines His children. In this case, He disciplines His children by humiliation in front of even their enemies or the unrighteous. How, how humiliating would it be for you to be rebuked morally by someone who's obviously lost? Wouldn't it be something, you know, you work with these people and some of the people you work with say, I don't really believe in God, I don't believe. What if that person is the one who has to call your failures out to you? How humiliating would that be that you got corrected by an atheist? Or you're, you're, the way you lived questioned by someone who doesn't even believe in God. You, you claim to be a child of God. I claim to be a child of God. What if I'm living life so obviously in opposition to what it means to be a child of God that it requires someone who's lost to even open my eyes and rebuke me of it? Abraham's setting pretty good, right? Land, livestock, servants, money. All of a sudden, Pharaoh's chariot pulls up one day with his wife. And Abraham is taught morality by the Pharaoh. Why would you say that your wife is your sister? 
Why would you do that to me? Even I know that's not the right thing to do. Now listen, the guy who's talking to him would have just had him killed, right? But even he knows that what Abraham's solution was is not a solution. Why did Abraham have to make the decision in the first place? Because Abraham decided to leave the promised land on his own. I would say to you, listen, the way of deception, it's not easy. The way of transgressors is hard. And maybe you, like me, have had to learn some tough lessons by being a knucklehead. And God's had to teach you some things the hard way. Amen? Some of you aren't. You were always the good student. You always did the right thing. You never got in trouble. And then some of us were knuckleheads. And we had to, to learn the hard way. And God's willing to teach you whatever way is necessary, necessary, right? I learned some important principles through troubles and through trials and through circumstances I wouldn't have wished on myself. And yet I brought them on myself. I would share this. Though it might seem painful at the time. Whatever you're going through, chastening and teaching and correction, it's meant to save us from our own selves and to bring us to the place where our trust in God is trust in God alone. God doesn't just discipline and chasten us because He's a God and He can. Everything God brings upon our hearts, every time He convicts us and every time He chastens us, it's to make us into the people He desires us to be. I say, if we could see things through God's eyes, everything that happens, we would choose it that way. You're going through a trouble right now, and that trouble's tough, and you don't fully understand it, but if you could see things the way God sees things, you would go through the trouble on your own. What is it, God, that you're trying to teach me? And don't ever forget this. Our God is in charge of even the tiniest of things. Sometimes we feel like, well, this, is, this isn't that big a decision. We're going to go here on vacation. We're going to do this on vacation. We're, this is where I'm going to work, and this is what I'm going to do. And today, this is what I'll do today. As if, though, God doesn't really care about the small, tiny things in our life. I want to submit to you, God wants control of even the tiny things. We all as Christians seem to be said in the big things of life, we need to consult God over. But in our lives, the way we live, it seems as though most of us, in the tiniest things, don't even believe God wants to take the time for those. God's just as concerned about the smallest thing in your life as He is the biggest decision in your life. Life can be wonderful. You can learn all the lessons you need to learn without going through bad decisions and bad circumstances and hurts. If we would just stop being knuckleheads, God would teach us the lessons that we need to learn without us having to go through troubles to learn it. God does not delight in pain or trouble or sorrow for those who He calls His own. But sometimes we have to go through pain and sorrow and suffering to even be open and ready for God to teach us what He desires to teach us and what we need to know. What's the old song say? Through many dangers, tolls, and snares, I have already come. 
His grace has brought me safe this far, and grace will lead me home. If you're here today, I would submit you've been through some dangers and tolls and snares. And as you move forward throughout life from this day moving, there will be some dangers and tolls and snares that you face. But listen, the grace of God will lead you home. We come into this passage with Abraham leaving the promised land and going to Egypt. And at the end of the passage, Abraham is leaving Egypt and going back to the promised land. Right where God had him to start with. God never told him to leave, but God sees him safely home, even though he's faced some dangers and toils and snares. I just put this last quote up. David's going to throw up and... Um, I really like this. How much better would it be if we would learn this lesson that instead of complaining at every trial and saying, why me? Wouldn't we be better off to say, Lord, why are you trying to teach me through this? Every difficult situation brings opportunity for us to become a student of God's grace and His glory. Or we can become Hapless victims of negative circumstances. Let me ask you this morning. Sonia, I'm going to ask if you'll just come play. As I close. We're not going to sing. I'm just going to ask you to take a moment right where you're sitting and to pray. If you need to come to the altar, come to the altar. That's fine with me. But you can pray right where you're at too. If you want to pray with someone, then come grab one of us and we'll pray with you. If you just need to get along with God, that's fine. But if we're going to be the people God desires us to be, we have to stop all the time. We have to start looking at the circumstances in which we're facing as an opportunity to be students of God's glory and God's grace. But ultimately, friends, even though you can't control your circumstances, you can control how you behave and act in them. And so this choice is up to you. Today you can leave this place as a victim. A victim to what others have done. A victim to some bad decisions you've made. A victim to, uh, to many other things as you come into God's house today. Or you can leave this place as a student. Waiting on God's grace and God's glory and God's will to be made manifest in your life. So whatever it is you're facing, or whatever it is that's on the horizon, as God's people, we're not victims. We ought to be students. And we learn more about the grace and the glory of God. Whether it be in hurt and pain and trouble and trials. Or whether it be those mountaintop experiences we face. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you Lord for your word. We pray that you speak to our hearts now. That the Holy Spirit continue to move in our lives and hearts. Uh, Lord, we, we pray this word would bring edification to the church and glorification to you. And now Lord, as we enter this time of prayer... Uh, we're Sonia will just play. And Lord, whenever we're through praying, wherever we may be, then we're dismissed. And so, Lord, as, as we begin to enter a time of prayer, I just pray people would pray. And as they finish praying, they can make their way out quietly. We just want to take 
a few moments to come into your presence. We're so thankful that you've been in our presence. And now, Lord, we want to enter boldly into the throne room of God through the Lord Jesus Christ with the very Holy Spirit of God interceding for us. Christ mediating for us. And God loving us. And so whatever we face today, help us to give it to you and become students of your grace rather than going through life as victims 